What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and today we have a very special guest, Dave Elich, here to talk about his new online course titled Staying Out of Your Own Way. Dave believes that musicians should approach their craft with the mindset of athletes, and he's created his new course because he sees a significant need for it in the community. Until now, such a resource simply didn't exist. As of this recording, this course is available for pre-order with the official launch set for March 4th, 2024. For those listening in the future, head over to DaveElich.com or suyao.com, which stands for staying out of your own way. So S-O-O-Y-O-W.com to grab your copy. And to keep things engaging, I've asked Dave to put together a top five list and he's chosen top five things you're not doing that are hurting you and your drumming. I liked it. I think he wanted me to think of a better name, but to be honest, Dave, slam dunk. So grab your notepads, folks. It's time to learn. And a big thank you to Dave Elich for joining us today, but that day. Um, I recorded this about a month ago. So enjoy the show. Cheers. All right, Dave. So, and I'm sure you've talked about this before, but what got you interested into the concept of proper technique to the extent that you're involved now? Yeah, it, it's funny. It took me a long time to get to a place where I felt like I could explain it, at least in a halfway decent manner. So I, through you know a combination of, of nature and nurture, have a trait of being highly sensitive, which you know from what I've read is about 20% of the population. And from my experiences with um, studying with Alexander Technique teachers and other people uh, who are also highly sensitive, um, they're like, wow, you're one of the most sensitive people I've ever worked with. So. But when I was young, I started playing when I was nine or 10 and I started teaching when I was 15. So when I, I sort of, not everything, but in a lot of ways, I was using myself in a very healthy, sort of efficient way without having any idea what I was doing simply because I was so sensitive. So for instance, like a very easy common example that everyone can understand is 99% of people bury the beater into the bass drum and some of them hold it in in between the notes. and. I never did that because it hurt. It like really hurt my leg and it hurt my foot. And even when I was a child, I was like, oh, like I, I, why would I do that, right? So it was this long process of reverse engineering things that I was doing naturally without thinking about most of the time. And when I was young, I thought everyone played like I did because it just made sense. And then as I got older and as I taught more and more professional musicians, not just drummers, I was like, oh, wow, this is like an epidemic, uh, especially the drum set. It's just such an inherently bizarre instrument that we don't see as such because it's just drums, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm in a combination of being extremely highly sensitive and picking up on things that the average person doesn't and, you know, wanting to have a lot of chops and facility and when I was younger and basically trying to copy Gary Novak and and Vinny. And I was like, well, if I am efficient and I have good technique, that means I can play more notes easier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it was sort of like, it's coming at it from sort of two unrelated uh, directions, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are almost proud to have their own unorthodox technique 
and they're afraid of digesting something like this because a different framework would fundamentally change their voice and that's the soapbox they want to stand on. What do you say to people like that? That's a very good question. It's a very common question. So the, the way I explain it is people constantly, whenever you have this conversation, they bring up some drummer that they love who's great, who I probably also love. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, he, you know, buries his stick in the snare drum or he, you know, like has really horrible posture or whatever. And the fundamental, con- so much of this stuff is conceptual and philosophical before we do anything with the use of the body or, you know, I was going to say or the mind, but that really is what we're talking about is sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> using the mind conceptual. So the thing that people don't understand fundamentally is that the definition of being gifted is being able to express yourself enough or even at a high level on your instrument of choice in spite of your poor use, not because of it. Mm. So that's why you look at Buddy Rich and like his posture is horrible. He looks like a question mark, like literally, you know, everything's set up really low, which is what everyone did back in the day. And he's ripping. I mean, you know, he's one of my heroes. So people very get quickly get defensive about their heroes or themselves. And they go, well, you know, you're talking shit about Buddy Rich. I'm like, of course I'm not. Like, <laughs> who knows what kind of pain that guy was dealing with? People don't advertise that stuff publicly. So it's like... Yeah, was he great? Of course. Could he have been even better? Absolutely. Could he have played the way he played for longer without being in pain, which he likely was? Totally. So the thing that people don't understand, it's like if you're using your body and your mind in a healthier way, it's going to make what you do even better. And that's the experience that that I've had with countless you know, professional musicians that I've taught is, is it doesn't take away, it adds to what they already have. And I think it's a very quick knee jerk defense mechanism because people understand even just intuitively how difficult it's going to be. I mean, changing your muscle memory is literally the hardest thing you can do as a human being. Um, That's why everyone obsesses about golf strokes or swings Mm -hmm. right because it's all technique and for some reason it's accepted in in sports but when you come to a musical instrument people really poo poo it or think it's like nerdy or and that's because a lot of times technique gets lumped into um like really horrible music and prog rocky like the million pedals and time signatures and stuff which is one way to apply it but but certainly not the way i do it's you know it's equivalent to when sprint coaches back in the 60s uh, were like, huh, maybe if you don't give it 100% and white knuckle it and you give it like 80% and relax your jaw and your hands, you'll run faster. And then everybody starts breaking world records. It's more along those lines and you get don't get injured as much. Yeah, going back to Buddy Rich, that might be why he was mad all the time. Is his fucking back hurt? <laughs> just pissed off. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he was a really nice guy if he were just taking some lessons. <laughs> Maybe you know, or like I always come back to Phil Collins. I mean, he's he's one of my all time. You know, like we did the the episode, uh, the mm-hmm. Big Fat Five episode. He's one of my all time, all time, all time heroes. And it's just it's tragic, you know, like the guys. Mm-hmm. Mine is is all over the place because of the way he used himself because he's such an astronomical genius. I mean, not just drumming, but singing and arranging horn parts and lyrics and everything else. So, 
you know, he's another like really good example. It's like, would you have like taken away from him? No, you would have saved him. So that's, that's generally my answer to that. And speaking of, and I'm, if I'm stepping on any of the things you wanted to talk about, just say, Ben, I'm going to get to that in a second. But <laughs> you, you, you brought up Buddy Rich and sitting lower and saying that's what people did those days. Are there any recent developments or trends um, or innovations, I guess, that you see out there today that is consistently frustrating you that you wish you could just be like, I see this all the time. Stop it. Yeah, it's really hard to go into that without naming names. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's guys that everyone listening to this will automatically think of who set up the drum kit in a way that makes absolutely no sense as a shtick. And, you know, I think to me anyway, even if I didn't know what I know and do what I do, I think that would be pretty easily transparent as a shtick to make up for some shortcomings here or there or like, like some people who have a ginormous drum set because they just play the same things and move it around to different voices and it's quote unquote different, you know, it's a similar sort of thing. Um, you know, the real, the real danger with social media, which I've talked about before is like anyone can do anything. So there are unfortunately people out there who mean well and are well-intentioned and I'm sure they're nice people, but they may have a degree of some sort, whether that's from a music school or whether that's like some, you know, several week personal training certificate. And they may be like a physical therapist or they may be like a personal trainer. And then they're trying to like come at the drums from that perspective, which you would think on the surface I would be into. But the problem is, is a lot of these people either have no experience playing gigs um, or even just like a bar band. They just don't play with musicians, so they don't know what it is to be in the heat of battle. Um, and or they can't play at a very high level. So they're, you know, coming at it from a strength and con conditioning or a, a kinesthetics perspective, like a lot of books and like textbook knowledge. And then when they sit down on the instrument, you're like, ooh, like this all sort of falls apart. I was giving a lesson to a guy <clears throat> a few years ago. And one of the things I do with people constantly is, is talk about breathing. Um, I'm so bad at that. Yeah. Well, everybody is. I mean, yeah, we can get into that. Um, so this guy, and a lot of times what I see with people, it's not, it's certainly breathing at the kid or playing when you're playing an instrument is, is, is a, something to be conscious of, but I'm talking about just breathing all day long as a human being. So when you're not at the instrument and your breathing is fundamentally dysfunctional, before you sit down, it's going to get way worse when you're playing an instrument. And so I'm working with this guy and his breathing was, was essentially, you know, backwards. Um, he was like clavicularly breathing uh, pretty badly, had no idea. And we spent maybe half an hour going through all this stuff and getting him to breathe in a, in a way that his body wants to and is designed to. And he goes, you know, man, this is so crazy. Uh, my day gig is I'm a respiratory therapist. Jeez. <laughs> and I was just like, what? He's yeah. like, yeah, I'm just so like concerned with the numbers and the percentages of gases. And like, I'm looking at the machine and whatever. And his breathing was some of the worst I've, I've ever seen. So that, that's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, we human beings have a tendency to compartmentalize things. And when you're approaching the instrument from a, from a physical therapist's perspective or a personal trainer's perspective or, an, or a kinesiologist's perspective, and you don't really have the playing experience or facility to back it up, a lot gets lost in translation. And then you end up wanting to help people, but then really um, being dangerous. 
And I've had certain people who, you know, do that and they think they're doing what I'm doing. And they're like, hey, man, we should like work together. And I'm just like, nah, dude, like this is not we're not doing the same thing. And, you know, you can't there's nothing I can do other than go good luck. But don't don't get it twisted. We're not doing the same thing. Um, so, you know, I it's very that's a very difficult thing for me to deal with uh, because uh, I have a really hard time with with when people want to apply themselves, their work ethic, their time, their money, and then they're trusting someone to give them solid, valuable, reliable, accurate information. And that's not happening um, for whatever reason. I don't I don't know why, but that that to me is like really drives me uh, crazy because you're these people are trusting you and you're doing them a disservice, even if you might mean well, which I think a lot of people do. So what I do with this approach is I have, you know, my thing that I do and then I read constantly and I study with people constantly. And what I do is I go, okay, look, I'm not a, I'm not a breathing expert, like, but out of everything I've learned, I know the general direction, which is a healthy, natural way to breathe and i'm going to send you off in that direction so at least you have like good solid information you can get started and then if you want to get with like a real expert i can send you to, to someone but at least it's like okay we're going from a super dysfunctional path like i taught someone yesterday and he came in came in from nashville and he was taking a, a, a two-hour lesson with me and and right when he walked in i was like do you have anxiety and he's like yeah and i was like your breathing is all backwards and so just getting him that information of how to breathe diaphragmatically and sort of reset his nervous system for fire or flight, that, that's way more important than just drumming, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I've worked with tons of like vets with PTSD and, and you know, I can, I can feel, part of the reason I can do the work I can do is I can feel sort of, um, it sounds super woo woo, but I can feel like someone's nervous system imprint like thumbprint so even over zoom you know like i'll i've definitely worked with a few vets and as soon as the screen turns on i'm like Oof, like whoa man like wow you know like so if we if we help them sit up sit upright and not collapse into themselves they're going to be more confident and their back's not going to hurt if we help them breathe well they're going to be able to not have panic attacks all the time, whether you're playing a show or not. And so, yeah, this stuff all might have started at the instrument for me, but it ends up being a lot larger than that. And so many people that study with me are like, oh man, like my drumming's better, but my life is better. And I'm just like, yes, like that's the real shit. That's what this is about. You know, it's like you can work on all these stickings and like move them around the kit and whatever. And it's like, that's all well and good. But in the grand scheme of things, is that going to really help you in any real tangible way? Like, Maybe, but mm -hmm. maybe there's better uh, better use of your time. Well, let's just, I mean, you're a great co-host because let's just hop into the five. And yeah. you had talked about before we had got on how this is not strictly for drummers. Correct. And it's also kind of a separate thing. It goes in line with uh, your releases you've already done, but it's also, you can have it, like you said, a la carte and just focus on that. Yeah. But obviously everyone recommends doing it kind of in a certain order, get both courses, all that jazz. But yeah, before before we hop into that, let me just sort of explain, explain what the course is. Yeah. So, you know, I came out with Getting Out of Your Own Way like six years ago, and that I've updated three times already. And, you know, as I learn more, I update it. And, um, and there were things in there 
the, the first and second version of that course, my breathing was super, super upside down and backwards. Like <laughs> I, I have a hard time looking at it now. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm not saying I know everything and I'm perfect. And I've always, that's my, you know, I, I walk the walk and I'm like, Hey, I fucked that up. That was, that was not good. But now that I learned more, I can go back and fix it. So that's what I did. And so the, that course is about drumming, right? It's about a little bit more than that, but it's about drumming. So I was lucky enough to meet my, one of my mentors who, uh, her name is Diana Linden. And I met her about 15 years ago and I was playing in my old metal band, Dollars Amara, <clears throat> using big sticks, playing a sonar bell bronze and heavy cymbals and playing five days a week and had a major label record deal. And I was 23 and, you know, I got tendonitis in my left forearm. And luckily my buddy, Dave Timnick, who, um, at the time was just a student and like a friend, but, uh, he ended up, he plays guitar in a band called, uh, Intronaut, but he also played drums and other stuff. So he was in, into uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and still is teaches now. Oh, wow. And he was like, Hey, I've got the lady. So I go over to Diana's house and she was like the Oracle in the, in the matrix, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. old woman. And she's like her apartment. There's like, just, it's a mess. There's like stuff everywhere, like ceramics and like, you know, it's just like stuff everywhere, like in, in Japanese art and like, I knew she of, was good. Yeah. 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 And so we talked for maybe like an hour and then I went in and she just beat the shit out of my arm. So myofascial sports massage, um, she had other modalities as well, but, but it was essentially like deep tissue sports massage, you know, walked out of there a few hours later and it was, it was my, my arm was fixed. It was gone. Um, just in one session. And so I would periodically sort of check back in with her when things popped up and, uh, and over the, over the years we became like very close and she basically became like my sort of grandma. And so I would send a lot of people that I would work with to her to get work done. And so, you know, I sent, who knows, I mean, hundreds of people over the years to her, um, not just, not just drummers or other musicians, but, but friends as well. And she had a pretty high success rate. So, so I learned a lot from her because, you know, as the years went on, I spent countless hours over there hanging out with her and getting work done. And she was really, she was a really interesting character. She, she lived in a bus in Venice in the sixties and like lived in a bunch of ashrams and was like a really devout Buddhist, went to Tibet, like raced sailboats, like was super into um, psychology and all, all kinds of, she was, she was very interesting. She was cool. Swore like a sailor because she was a sailor. So the, one of the main things that I'd learned from her is this idea that when you have poor use of your body, no matter what you're doing, uh, and, or you're putting it through, through stress, like whether at the gym or playing an instrument or whatever, or just doing that inherently over time, you develop fascial adhesions, you scar tissue in your muscles and your tendons and your ligaments. And according to her and in my personal experience, uh, the only modality that works to get rid of those fascial adhesions is deep tissue sports massage where you have to go in there and break up the fascia, which is painful. But um, the problem is, is Western medicine, which is, uh, you know, amazing for so many things, 
cancer or whatever, you know, like there's a lot of things that Western medicine is a miracle, but specifically for whatever reason, Western medicine doesn't believe in myofascial body work uh, and that phenomenon of, of breaking up the fascia. So what happens with everyone that I teach all the time is they come in to see me and they go, my arm hurts. I, I went to the doctor. They told me to get a cortisone cortisol shot, which is a Band-Aid. They told me I need surgery, which you, you don't, and you can permanently get messed up and maybe end your career that way. Mm -hmm. uh, they sent me to a physical therapist who's just like zoning out and like you know, five more and just like, you know, they generally don't know what they're doing. Yep. Know all about that. Yeah. Chiropractic work to me is largely a, a scam. I mean, again, I think they mean well, but we're dealing with musculature, not the skeletal system. So um, it's just not the right tool. Um, I think acupuncture can help, and I think it's a real modality, but it's sort of like the icing on the cake when the myofascial body work is like the cake itself, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the problem is, is people go to doctors and they send them to all these different people who don't, who can't help. So again, part of what I'm trying to do is get the right information. I don't even like saying right, but get information out there that will help people in my experience. And so just people studying with me and me explaining this to them, and then sending them. So what I'll do is they're like, my arm hurts. And I'm like, okay, let me check it out. And I push in to their elbow and they go, Whoa! you know, and I'm like, yeah, give me, you know, does that hurt? They're like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, did anyone at the doctor's office do that? They're like, no. <laughs> and so, uh, so a lot of times people have golf golfers elbow, people have tennis elbow, tendonitis, and people get all freaked out. And I'm just like, look, if you get sports massage, this will go away. So years and years and years of that, both getting that work done on myself and having tons of people work, have Diana work on them. I was like, Diana, you got to write this stuff down. Cause she would just like wax philosophically about all kinds of stuff. And she's a total genius. And I'm like, you got to write this stuff down. And she was like, Oh, I don't want to. It's just kind of like, it's just uh, like going to work. And she would just like riff, you know? So a couple of years ago, I convinced her to just go out and get dinner and then she would start riffing and I brought my laptop and I just type as fast as I possibly could. And so after about 10 or 15 dinners, we got this script done of essentially what is her life's work, um, which turned out to be this new course, which is called staying out of your own way. And right about when we finished the script, she ended up uh, passing away at 76. So I'm so happy that we were able to document this um, because that that's exactly what i was you know concerned about mm -hmm. and her her genius would have been lost forever so um so that's how this course came to be and so of course after she passed away i was like i was like getting ready to film it and i was like oh you know what am i going to do now so i got three women to come in and, and help me and so I got Zamia Cohen, who was a personal trainer, who was the only trainer that Diana was like, she's awesome. Everyone else is an idiot, which is why <laughs> her and I got along. Sure. Uh, my friend Yenny Tarma, who was a, used to be a bass player, played with like Christina Perry and Kylie Minogue and Harmar Superstar and a bunch of people. She used to live in L.A. We've known each other for a long time. She's um, has a company called Kari now where she helps athletes with mobility. So mm -hmm. it's like stretching. Um, and then Kara Norris, who uh, Neil Daniels and Adam Criscow recommended to me, and she's a fantastic sports massage uh, neuromuscular therapist. And so 
um, these three amazing women helped me film everything. And again, because I'm not an expert, like I, I was like, okay, you've got to make sure I'm explaining this well and doing this the right way. So the course is, is broken up into strength training, myofascial body work, uh, stretching. And then like the fourth part is how you structure it all together. So, because again, this information is not out there. So having a strength training protocol, so we're strong enough to play this or any instrument stretching. So you have mobility and then, um, getting the myofascial body work to, to even to work on yourself, which is, which is a lot, we have a lot of stuff you can do on yourself in the course. So again, people just getting this course, no matter what instrument they play and just getting started doing this, it's just a big dollop of like the right information that's actually going to help you that I don't see anywhere and go sort of circling back to the whole Instagram thing is like, I don't see any of this stuff on there. And if I do, it's people doing it in the sort of Instagram sort of style of like, do this or, you know, like putting up their fingers or whatever, you know, don't do this. And it's just like, Oh, um, so, so yeah, so that, that's how this course came to be in, in getting out of your own way was my first course. So I, I figured staying out of your own way would be a good title yeah. for the Once you're there, one. stay there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, and so, yes, of course, because I am a stickler with the format, I made you think of five things, and uh, I love these five things. And then, yeah, as you talk about them, I'm sure you'll reference how you will figure out how to correct these things in your course. But, uh, but of course, people get the course. He's not going to tell you everything right now. So, um, But, yeah, so the first one, and these are things, five things that you're fucking up your body while doing but n number one uh the thing you're messing up and doing wrong is warming up and cooling down the protocol so what do you mean by that 
So, you know, this is something where, again, a lot of this, the reason why I make these courses is because I have to have these same conversations multiple times every single day. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, someone comes in to, to study with me and they're like, my arms hurt or I'm having a lot of like, or weird nerve sensations. Um, and I say, okay, well, uh, what are you doing to warm up? And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't warm up. <laughs> What? <laughs> like, yeah. Or they go, oh, I just, you know, the stock answer is, oh, I just kind of, you know, do some rudiments on a pad for five or 10 minutes, which I did for years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I went to see Meshuggah a few few months ago and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there hanging with with Hawk on the bus and, and um, we're talking about because, you know, I've been working with him for a few years and we're talking about a lot of the stuff we've been working on. And uh, and I was like, um, He's like, yeah, we just had it bleed back into the set. And I was like, rad. I was like, um, what are you doing to warm up? He's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't warm up, you know? And like, he's like, gotta be like 50, you know? Can you imagine trying to play bleed without warming up? I mean, like, no. what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, try and imagine playing bleed in general is a whole different conversation, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So, um, you know, that's, he's not alone. That's the conversation I have to have all, all the time. And it circles back to what I said in the beginning. Th Thomas is unbelievably gifted. So mm -hmm. like he's able to do that until he can't. So sitting there and warming up on a pad and then going out and playing a, a show have absolutely nothing to do with each other. So you sitting there doing paradiddles on a pad, like and then right, whatever. Even like 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 doesn't have to be hard hitting. Like when I was doing Miley or or, or M83 or, or you're doing the can stuff, it didn't have to be hard hitting. Mm -hmm. But like if you walk out there cold, it's like getting hit by a truck. And then your whole body seizes up and then you get the lobster claws and then <laughs> yep. And then everything freezes up and then, you know, uh, you're just really going to have a bad time. So something that I have in my uh, previous course that I, again, found out, th thought of from touring, which is, again, so much of this stuff, once you have the right information and once something makes sense, it seems obvious. But until then, it's not right. So I was at the gym around 2014-ish, something like that. And I was out with Anti-Mask, the, the band I have with the Mars Volta guys. And I was skipping rope at the gym and I was like, why don't I just do this before a show? Like I can put a rope in my stick bag or backpack or suitcase or whatever. And so I started doing it and I was like, holy shit, this is huge. And when I sat down to play, it felt like I was playing the third or fourth song in the set, not getting hit by a truck on the first song. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't that like, oh, you know, thing. And I was like, you're sweating a little bit and you just glide right into it. And so that's such a simple thing. And it's also funny how many dudes I've taught who I tell to do that and they just don't do it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the only other person I've seen doing this uh, is Danny from Tool. Mm. And I saw something on his Instagram a few years ago where he was skipping rope behind this riser before a show. And I, and I texted him. I was like, dude, like, it's awesome. Like, you're the only other person I've seen doing that. Like, how long have you been doing that for? And he's like, oh, man, my uh, my basketball coach at, like, Kansas City, like, when I, when I went to college, he'd have us do it before games, you know? So I just, like, keep kept doing it. It really helps. And I was just like... There you go. You know, you're you're coming at it from this other perspective, right? This more um, zoomed out 
macroscopic perspective. So, um, yeah, because even if you warm up for 45 minutes on a pad, A, you're not going to hit as hard as you're playing a real kit. And B, what are you doing with your feet? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So for me, my feet would be like ice cubes. Uh, and it would take forever to get them to warm up. So that's like a very simple thing to do to warm up. And, you know, I go into that a little bit more in depth uh, in, in both courses. Um, and then cool down. Again, it's, you have to think about yourself like an athlete. When you see athletes, especially in the last five, 10 years, like football players, you know, get off the field, they all get in like an ice bath, right? So like, you know, I have a beer tub, 70% water, 30% ice, something like that. Not freezing cold, but as soon as I get off stage, I dump my arms in the, in the beer tub, you know, and, and, and that helps tremendously with inflammation. So just two very simple things like that, that you just have to do really pay dividends and you know i get it like if you're in like a sprinter like van and trailer tour like doing this stuff is kind of a pain in the ass sometimes but um just go to target get one of these bins that you put t-shirts or beer in and they're 10 bucks and just you know throw that in the back maybe put your sticks in there or something i don't know you could throw some t-shirts or whatever um that way you have it because like even on a lot of big cushy gigs that i've done where you have band assistance you know i'm always like hey make sure we have like a beer tub afterwards and most of the time it's not there. And so anyway, it's easier to just do it yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are two very simple things that, that, that really, really make a big difference. And I remember I was, I was reading uh, the Jeff Percaro book that came out a few years ago and somewhere towards the end there, he was talking about doing the same thing back in the eighties or whatever. Like, I didn't even know there's a Jeff Percaro book that came out. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's called about time. I think that's what it's called. It's about time. It's, uh, I think it's by Robin Flans. Mm. Uh, I think she used to write for modern drummer back in the day. It's, it's awesome. It's okay. Great. I'll definitely grab it. All right. Well, uh, number two, and this is a big one that I know has, has definitely helped me out is just again, so obvious, but not really stretching. <laughs> yeah. Huge. Yeah. So the thing that people don't understand about stretching is when you go to stretch something like, let's say your hamstrings or something that's, that's tight um, on most people, uh, half of it is actually your central nervous system holding on. And half of it is actually the, the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments being tight. Um, so just when you start stretching and you feel you have that extra mobility, half of that, 50% of that is your nervous system going, oh, okay, I can like let go. I'm not like in danger. People don't really understand that. I think that's, again, like just understanding that and having that piece of knowledge is, is really helpful. So when you sit down at a desk or a playing piano or, or at a, at whatever, drums, when you just sit down and, and not even picking your feet up like you would playing drums, but just sitting down, your hamstrings shorten by sitting down. So what happens is even if you're just at a desk all day, your hamstrings get shorter and shorter and shorter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And then playing drums that, you know, it's a whole other or church organ. It's a whole other ball game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was over at Diana's a few years ago and she, I was lying on my back and she was pulling my leg back sort of over my head, stretching my hamstring and and my knee was bent quite a bit because I was so tight, you know. And she was pushing my leg back. I was like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. Like my, my, my like IT band feels like it's going to rip, you know. And, um, 
And she's like, and she just like reamed me out. And she was just like, you really got to be stretching. Like, what are you doing? You have like no mobility here, you know, come on, you got to walk the walk. And, and so um, she showed me a bunch of uh, stretches, you know, which are in the course and uh, just doing them every single day. Again, like just the way you feel in your body, like I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe. Like I know I didn't do it because stretching is not fun, mm-hmm. um, right? And especially when you're really tight, it's 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 it sucks. But man, does it pay dividends? And also, like you have no idea how things are are related to each other physiologically. Like um, I remember my buddy uh, Bill Burr, you know, the comedian. He was. Um, I've been teaching him for a long time now and he was very close with Diana as well. And, um, when we, uh, scattered our ashes at the funeral, everyone said a couple, it was just a few people. Everyone said a couple things and he was like, you know, I went in there the first time and we talked for like an hour and I was having some shoulder problems. We finally went in to get to work. And she said, all right, I want you to lay on your stomach. And she started on my calves. And he's like, I realized at that moment that this woman was a complete genius. You know, because it's not, some of this stuff is not obvious and everything is connected, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have no idea how like, yeah, stretching out your calves could help your shoulder or your neck or, or who knows, everything is everything is connected. So, yep. but us, us as drummers, man, the hamstrings, I, I can't, I can't, uh, overemphasize how important those are to get those mobile um and like loosened up so yeah stretching again like if we forget about the drums and we think about anything else playing baseball playing soccer being a gymnast like whatever like just running people all this stuff people like oh yeah okay that makes sense of course you'd stretch (laughs) but for some reason like musicians that's why the subtitle of this course is musicians as athletes like, and I really never played sports in my life. I was never an athlete, but you know, playing an instrument is his athletic, especially the drums. Especially when you're helping the bass player bring his eight by 10 ampeg for the three people in the venue, you know? Well, that's a whole other thing. I know you're joking, but that's a whole other thing. It's like, you know, what, what do, what do athletes do? They, they have a warm up protocol. They go and play in the game. They have a cool, cool down protocol, you know, their diet and all this stuff. What do we do as musicians? We load in our gear, like probably sloppily and horribly, horribly, right? Um, and then we play the show, not warming up, not cooling down. You load you all your gear again, and then you eat like a pizza and drink a few beers and get in the back of a Sprinter van and like you're all crunched up, you know? So it's like a recipe for disaster. But again, because that's sort of the life, Everyone's like, well, yeah, it's just like what it is. But it's like when you step back, you're like, uh, and look at it through this lens. It's like, yeah, of course, of course, everyone's hurt and in pain. You know, it's like a chronic problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like 10 years ago, my dad was trying to get in better shape and he didn't really go to the gym. He did a little bit, but he definitely he added a, a an insane stretching regimen to his morning routine and his doctor was like your blood pressure improved like crazy your blood work is better like your circulation it's 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 not just like oh i can move my arm more this way it really does help everything beautiful yeah that's fantastic yeah there you go it's amazing so number three and you did already 
touch on this, but maybe if, if you want to be a little more specific, uh, the myofascial body work. Yeah. So essentially, without getting any, so many people I talk to, whether they're professionals or not, I'm like, when was the last time you had a massage? And most people are like, never. And if they do get a massage, it's like some spa massage where it's like relaxing and that doesn't really do anything. So um, essentially, when you, you know, are playing an instrument for a long time and not ever getting massage, your, your body's basically like your muscles and your tendons and your limbs are like piano wire. And then you got like this gunk like schmutz like Diana would call it, like chewing gum <laughs> all over it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's basically how most people are operating is they're like piano wire with chewing gum stuck all over it. And because, you know, human beings are are unbelievably resilient creatures, we can get used to anything for better or worse, right? So we adapt to all this stuff that we don't really know that's going on under the surface because we just get used to it until um you know, you, you have nerve damage or you blow out your back or, or something eventually, you know, serious happens. So yeah, the, the, the myofascial body work, it's, it's, it's about getting, you know, a lot of people are going to have to find a competent body worker, which is like maybe something, uh, it's worth mentioning is, is you want someone who is a, a myofascial sports massage therapist who does deep tissue sports massage, who works on athletes, like on paper, that's what you want really it's, it's like having a therapist, you know, in a lot of ways, like you need to have a connection with that person. You need to feel safe with that person. Um, and you need to feel like they're competent and they know what they're doing. And, uh, like when I, uh, you know, Neil and, and Adam both recommended Kara and she came over and like right away, I was like, Oh, cool. Like she's very different. There's never going to be another Diana. Um, and that's okay. And Kara does her own thing. She's very different, but right away I was like, cool. She knows what she's doing. Like she's very quick, straight to the area. And she's like almost surgical, like laser, like in her precision. And she had a couple moves like with my shoulders. I was like, Ooh, I've never had that done before. And it, it, it's, you'll, you'll feel, you'll feel like, a, at least I do. I tend to feel a connection with good, good practitioners. And I've seen people who are like, yeah, that was like, that was fine. Like it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. You know? So you want to try out a couple and like also like depending on if you want a man or a woman that's you know like totally different for everyone um you know and if you're like a really muscular dude you may need like a muscular dude to get in there and break that stuff up so like i have a friend who is pretty you know has a lot of muscle and he was working with a a woman and she was great and he was like she's really great doing uh it was also part of the um, discipline wasn't exactly what, what we wanted. Um, it's more rolfing, which is not exactly what we want. And then he started seeing this dude and he was like, oh yeah, he can uh, really get in there. And by the way, this, this particular student I've been working with, who's a great guy and he's, and he's a really smart dude and he works his ass off. I had to have like a bunch of come to Jesus talks with him over months being like, dude, you're lifting, you're so hard, so much, so hard, like such high weight that your central nervous system is shot and your legs are shot. And he kept trying to work on double bass stuff and he'd come in, his legs would just give out. And I was like, look, you can either like amend your workout routine. Uh, so your central nervous system and your legs can recover. So you can play drums or you can keep being like a jock bro meathead and, and not, you know, one of the things Diana would say all the time is she's like training strength training. I'm sort of like getting into another point here, but strength training is you need to train. So you're able to do your sport. Our sport is playing drums or flute or kazoo or whatever else someone wants to play. And if you work out so hard that you can't do your sport anymore, what are you doing? 
defeats the purpose, right? So <clears throat> anyway, I was, I was working with this guy yesterday, actually, and he said, yeah, I'm seeing this new guy, and he really got into my hamstrings, and he said, I asked him, he's, this guy is working on professional bodybuilders at goals. Like, that's like, it doesn't get any gnarlier than that, right? Yeah. So like, you think about the amount of muscle you have to get into when you're working on a 260-pound bodybuilder. And my, my buddy student was like, Hey man, um, just out of curiosity, like how tight are my hamstrings like comparatively? And he said, Oh, you're by far the tightest I've ever seen. <laughs> so again, we can get used to all kinds of stuff. And by the way, like he's finally getting it now and he's working with, with Zamia, um, and amending his workout routine and stretching. And he's already in, in a few months here, like a totally different person already. Anyway, I'm sort of going between two different bullet points here, but, but yeah, so the myofascial stuff, you know, it's just a good thing to do anyway, even if you aren't putting your body through what we're putting our body through. But, you know, it, it, with all this stuff, it, it's basically like most people have put 500,000 miles on their car and never changed the oil and it's just sludge. Yeah. And for people listening that are driving or working out or doing whatever, I will put in the show notes that exact phrase that you said to look for when looking for a therapist. So don't worry. You don't have to rewind or whatever. Um, I'll put that in there. But And yes, so you did start to go into the fourth point, which is uh, strength training. But yeah, going back to what you were saying uh, about people that weight lift and they're doing a disservice to their drumming, got to be a big boy and girl and just kind of make a decision on what's more important to you. Yeah, Exactly. You know, I, I ran into a drummer a few years ago at some function we were both doing and he was, he's, he'd gotten pretty big. Like he'd been working out a lot. And, uh, and I was like, man, you've gotten really big. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm just like chronically injured though. And I was like, ah, I'm not even going to bother because yeah. I knew he wasn't the type, like I wasn't going to sit there and waste my time and help, try to help him when I knew he wasn't the kind of guy that was going to apply Mm -hmm. everything that's in this course. And so, you know, there's that myth, like if you go to the gym and you put on weight and you get big, you're going to like with muscle mass, you're going to slow down on the instrument. And that myth comes from actually people putting on muscle mass and not getting myofascial body work done and breaking up the scar tissue that happens when you're working out and usually working out with a paradigm that's not structured well. And you're not resting long enough in between sets. It's always very simple things you just have to do when you have the right information. But yeah, that myth of like, oh, I'm going to get really, I don't want to get really big and then slow down. It's like if you if you get the body work done and you break up the scar tissue, you'll be, you'll be fine. But but you know when I was working with uh, George from 1975, I was also very close with Diana. And between me and her, I mean, we we really saved his career, uh, honestly. Wow because he was in such bad shape when we started working together he hits really hard he was in he's been in that band since he was i don't know like a kid they all have mm -hmm. um and he hits really hard and he was using himself in ways that were um you know very common unhealthy ways um because he's so gifted like i was saying earlier and when we started working together i was getting him to use himself well i got him to go to diana's and she got him strength training and he put on like 15 pounds of muscle mass and the reason why that's so important when you're playing drums and hitting things is the musculature acts as like a shock absorber to your skeletal system your nervous system so if you are just skin and bones like he was pretty skinny and he's also very tall he's like six four or six five oh, wow. so every time he would hit a snare and 
you know, in the way he was with no muscle mass, it would just look shocking his system. It's like when Tiger Woods, you know, redid his stroke years ago and he, and he started working with this coach and he had him put on 15 or 20 pounds of muscle mass. Um, because the amount of torque you ha you you generate when you're hitting a ball like that is insane, and your spine needs to be uh, supported as much as possible. So, and you know, we're like sitting again, sitting down and picking your feet up in the air. I have to say this every day is totally weird. You'd never do that if you weren't playing drums. So, you know, the kind of stability and strength you need, which is not in your core, by the way, which is all over the internet. Um, piece of misinformation. So, you know, we need to be really strong to be able to, to play this instrument. It's just, it's, it's a cobbled together, make it up as you go along instrument. I mean, it's why they called it a contraption kit because mm -hmm. just cobbled it together. And, and so, you know, there's stuff that, that works and there's stuff that we kind of do the best we can with, but, but, you know, and, and same thing. And there's, there's certain things like with other instrumentals I've worked with, with bass players or pedal steel players or guitar players, where again, if they just have a couple of these pieces of information, you know, I, I've taught really uh, great, uh, you know, instrumentalists like who went to all these famous schools and like no one ever, it was like, no one ever told you this. Like they're like, no, <laughs> you know, because this stuff isn't out there, which is again, why I'm, why I'm doing this. So yeah, the strength training stuff is, um, is so important. I feel like it as sort of Diana would say, it just gives you a lot more horsepower. Are there any specific exercises that you're like, this is, I think, could actually do a lot if you just do this kind of vibe? Or do you want to just of, strength training? Yeah. It's like, oh, if you do this certain thing, that would take care of at least 30% of a huge gap in your playing or yeah. You know, strength. Yeah. One of the things I was, I was going to say earlier is not, you know, not that long ago, Diana was like, she's like, you know, if you're improvising on your instrument, you can, you know what you're doing. You're a master at that, but you don't know how to improvise at the gym. So stop doing that. Like you don't have a master's in sports science. Like it, you can't just go, well, I'm going to do this machine and I'm going to do this one. And then that she's like, you don't know what you're doing. Stop doing it because I was injuring myself mm -hmm. at the gym, not drumming uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. So, uh, you know, it's extremely important to work with someone when we're playing our instruments to use ourselves in a healthy way. It's way more important at the gym because you're dealing with, way more variables and much more weight and a lot of other factors where you can injure yourself very easily. So not only in the structure of the paradigm, but also in your form. I mean, it's mm. so important. So one thing I can say is if you're using your hands a lot, whether it's on a keyboard or knitting or cooking or whatever's playing an instrument, what happens over time is your body becomes internally rotated because the front of your body becomes stronger than the back of the body. So your body starts collapsing inward because the chest and the scalenes and the neck and the biceps and everything starts pulling forward, right? And so what we need to do is not what everyone tries to tell you and sell you on Instagram is roll the shoulders back and down and get this dumb strap you can wear, these stupid shirts that you can wear to like help fix your posture. None of that gimmicky shit works. The only thing that works is strength training and strengthening your back over time to be as strong as the front of your body to naturally pull your shoulders back and down into a neutral setting. Mm -hmm. And and that takes a while. I mean, uh, my shoulders are, are naturally, you know, or because of everything, like pretty down and back, just 
naturally. Um, but man, I've been working on evening out the imbalance between my chest and my back for, I don't know, for like two years now. Like it takes some time. I mean, my ch- with this new routine I've been doing with Zamia, like my chest has gotten quite a bit smaller because we've been trying to even things out. So yeah, that, that's the best piece of sort of generic advice I can give everyone because I see so many people. I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's an amazing singer, guitar player, vocalist, violinist. And we were hanging out and uh, getting a coffee. And I was like, hey, can you like, uh, she was like this, you know, your shoulders are all hunched up. And I was like, hey, can you just like, see if you can just humor me, just see if you can let your shoulders down. And she was like, they are. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no way. And, and then I like put my hands on him and I was like, holy shit. And she's like, yeah, I've been playing violin forever. And she never got body work done. And, and that kind of misread, that almost never happens to me. Like I, that not, that's not like a, I mean, I could count on one hand the amount of times that's happened to me. Um, as far as like not understanding what's happening in someone's body. Anyway, so like, I was like, dude, you really, 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 really gotta go. Cause this is like, I was like, oh, that's really extreme. Um, and she's like, yeah, and it hurts. And I was like, oh, yeah. so, she went, so she went and got a I'm couple. I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so anyway, she went and got a couple sessions, um, and she was like, oh my god. Like even after the first session, she's like, oh my god. Like I've been working with this guy here, and he was had some really, really unfortunate ways of using his body from unfortunately studying with people at colleges who are great players but don't know anything about technique and telling him to do goofy things that don't make any sense. I was like, dude, stop studying with me if money's tight and just go get body work done. I don't want to see you until you go see Kara and get some sessions. Mm-hmm. Don't come back. And he, he he came back after getting like five or six sessions and he was like, I can feel my skin again. Like, wow. Yeah, it's like, it's it, we don't realize how like water dripping on a rock over time, like, if we're in pain, generally what happens is we disassociate, we disconnect from ourselves. And so if you're in pain, like you become numb to yourself to avoid feeling that pain. And, and over time, people don't understand how disconnected fundamentally they are from themselves psycho emotionally. And, um, and when you get this body work done, you plug back into that. And I tell a lot of people to get their psoas worked on, which is a very important muscle, which connects from the back of your, uh, basically the side of your spine and kind of wraps around and then forms part of your hip flexor. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a very important muscle that we use, but it's very deep behind a bunch of internal organs. And um, so you have to essentially ask for it to get work done because people won't just do it because it's a, a lot of people store a lot of emotions in their stomach. So and that, that psoas, doing what we're doing a lot of times is very tight. So it's very common that people can get their psoas worked on and have a, a very cathartic emotional release. I got it worked on once by a, a woman and I was like bawling and then like laughing hysterically. And I was just like, what is going on right now? And she's like, no, no, it's cool. This, this is totally normal. This happens. And, and I've had a lot of students. I had a student who was getting worked on and he had an emotional release um, in his shoulder, which the person was like, I'd never seen that before. But it's funny because us working together for years, we've been working on trying to get him to let his shoulders release. And it, it was some deeply held, probably traumatic thing where the body, you know, body keeps the score and it was holding on to that. He needed to 
get that broken up and release it for him to finally be able to let it go. And um, so, yeah, this, all of these things, they all refract off of each other and sort of bleed into each other and they all relate to each other. And it's every one of these aspects is a, is a piece of the puzzle. And, you know, just as much, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, advocate for doing therapy, talk therapy, any kind of therapy, but like talk therapy specifically. And that's a huge part of this puzzle, which, you know, who knows, maybe I'll try and add some sort of section on down the road at some point, mm -hmm. but that's absolutely a, a huge thing to be healthy as well. You know, it's not just the, the body, it's the mind too. Yeah. That was the fifth thing, which is the overall use of, of body and mind. Is it literally everything? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the central, not to go slightly off topic here, but that's the central premise of, of Alexander technique is that the body, the body and the mind are inextricably intertwined and you can't talk about one without talking about the other. And, um, you know, I, I, I owe so much to, to Sandra Dagger, my Alexander technique teacher and, and Jean-Louis Rodrigue at UCLA, who I've also studied with. I've learned so much from, from both of them. Um, and, you know, maybe on down the road, I'll do something more sort of formal in, in an Alexander Technique sort of way. But, yeah, how we think determines how we feel. I mean, in a cognitive behavioral therapy sense, right? It's, it's not our reality that makes us feel the way we're feeling. It's our perception of our reality, right? Which is the whole premise of that style of, uh, of therapy. It's like, what kind of cognitive distortion am I putting in between myself and the external world that's making me feel the way I'm feeling, right? And that can be conscious, that can be unconscious. But I remember I went, you know, very sort of bring it back to earth here. Like I remember I went in to go see Diana one time and I was like, oh man, I was like, my legs are so fucked up. Oh my God. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, we don't know that. Like, let's just hold on. Like, let's see what they feel like when we get in there. And then we can, then we can sort of assess it. But like, if you tell yourself your legs are going to be all fucked up, they're going to be fucked up. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, and that sounds really woo woo, but that is, that is an actual phenomenon that, that happens. So it's, and that's why I tell everyone to read that inner game tennis book. It's, it's, it's so much how we're talking to ourselves. And how we're thinking and, and a lot of times how we talk to ourselves becomes automatic and unconscious and then you know over time we can really do a number on ourselves and then our body that can manifest in our body in, in different ways i mean i was just at the gym right now before doing this and i saw some dude in his 60s who had like the craziest posture i mean like he looked like a coat hanger like, I mean, his, it was insane. Like, and I was just like, Oh my God, like, I can't even imagine what this guy's feeling like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like when you're, it's like when you're in, in school, you know, and you see some kid who like gets bullied or picked on and they're all slumped and like collapsed into themselves. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not a natural state of being. It's a learned body language over time based on their, their life experience. Um, and the opposite is also true. You know, the opposite of that, well, not necessarily the opposite, but maybe in terms of use, you know, something that's also toxic is like that military sort of attention, puffing the chest out and the head and you looking up like that's that's not good either. That's like the opposite problem. So uh, so, yeah, it's it's whether we're talking about all of those things I just mentioned, some are in the course, some are not like it's 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 not just the body it's 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 the mind and it's how we think and it's how we and it's how we we talk to ourselves and it's how we talk to other people 
you know, I, I spent New Year's with a couple of close friends of mine. And my one of my close friends was like, he's like, you know, I'm going to do this thing in uh, in January where I just try to not co not complain. And if you know me, I'm just like, you know, I complain all the time. <laughs> you know, my mom's like Jewish mother from Queens. I mean, that's all I grew up with was just nonstop complaining. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was like, yeah, right. Like, whatever, dude. Like, OK, you know, and I've. Um, you know, been doing it and, and, you know, lo and behold, when you're not complaining, you actually feel better. Yep. That's how crazy is that? You know, like, <laughs> you know, things that, things that, and so much, what's so funny about that stuff is like, you end up doing it and you, it's just like a, something to talk about mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, and then, uh, and then you end up feeling like shit afterwards. And, and, and if you just like, like a perfect example is everyone in LA being like, oh man, the traffic was so bad. And it's just like, okay, what am I going to do with that information? You know, like, there's no way I'm going to understand how bad it was for you. And then it's just like, okay, cool. Like, what's the point? You know? I mean, I, when, when stuff like that happens, I'm like, oh, there's a, a, a podcast that I can listen to that I get to listen to longer now. That's awesome. Exactly. You know, it's like there's ways to twist it. So so this is going to be coming out when this comes out. This will probably be the course will be almost out or has been out when it's released. But people listen to this. Where can people get it? Um, and I mean, there'll, there'll be links in the show notes. But yeah, how can people actually get it and all that jazz? Yeah, uh, you can go to my website, DaveEelich.com, and there'll be a little uh, menu drop down banner that says Sue Yao or Staying Out of Your Own Way. Or you can just go to stayingoutofyourownway.com or suyao.com, S-O-O-Y-O-W. And I'm sure you could just Google it. It'll pop up, staying out of your own way. Um, either way, um, you can you can get it there. And, you know, I sort of mentioned this earlier, but just to be super clear, like I'm structuring this the same way I structured getting out of your own way and that it's a one-time payment. I'm never going to charge you again. I'm not going to charge your credit card 30 bucks a month forever. And when I learn more, uh, I will update it and you won't ever have to buy it again. You'll just get all of this subsequent uh, additional information for, for free, essentially. Well, there you go. Dave Elitch. <laughs> I mean, I'm sold. So. Great. Fantastic. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!